We're going to be reading this morning from the book of Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. And we're going to be reading from chapter 1. We're going to read verses 7 through 14. If you want to turn, that's fine. If not, it'll be right up here above my head. Exodus chapter 1, verses 7 through 14. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they had become extremely powerful and filled the land. The land that they're talking about here is Egypt. That's an important thing. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph, what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. But... But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Sounds horrible, right? Remember what we just read. This passage of Scripture describes a, a time, a period of time in the Old Testament when the Israelites had obviously become slaves to the Egyptians. Now, again, as this Scripture passage tells us, it didn't happen through war. It didn't happen because the Egyptians conquered the Israelites and then made them slaves. No, it happened willingly over time as the Israelites slowly went from being blessed to becoming slaves in Egypt. Throughout the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, the land of Egypt is often referred to or used as a type or a reference of a place of bondage or slavery. Many times when we talk about Egypt, they're not talking about the country necessarily, but a place of slavery or bondage. Often in preaching, the world is often referred to as a type of Egypt. And when I say the world, I'm not talking about the globe or the, the, the world that we live in. Uh, but instead, it's a reference to things that are other than the things of God. So the world is often referred to as a type of Egypt because it, too, holds the people of God in bondage or slavery, and it, too, leads to death. So you can see how the, the land of Egypt in Old Testament times and what we refer to as the world today, how they are very similar, and that's what we're going to talk about today. The comparison doesn't stop there. As it was with Egypt in the time of the slavery of the people of Israel, this world around us is also ruled by a tyrant, an evil tyrant. With this in mind, it's fascinating, and, and probably even more than fascinating, it's a bit disturbing to see the strange pull that Egypt had over the lives of many godly people in the Bible. We've, just, we've told about how awful it was, how the people of Israel were treated, and yet we'll see that there were, all through the Bible there were people that just felt pulled back to Egypt. Genesis 12, 10 through 20, we read that Abraham went down to Egypt during a time of famine. While that passage shows that Abraham walked out of the will of God to go to Egypt, he experienced some very negative consequences as a result. Later in Genesis chapter 43, we read that Abraham's grandson Jacob did the very same thing by sending his sons to Egypt 
And while it, it, at the time it provided food for them during a famine, it too led to negative consequences. More specifically, it led the people of Israel experiencing 400 years of slavery. That slavery we just read about, that's how they got there. Probably the most blatant example of people looking to Egypt, in spite of the negative consequences, is those very same people, the people of Israel, after they had been delivered from 400 years of slavery. And after being in slavery for 400 years and being delivered from that, we read that they longed to go back to Egypt. Before we look down on people like Abraham and Jacob and others who we look to and, and folks who gave in to the pull of Egypt, we should probably admit, admit that far too many times we too often experience a strange pull from our own Egypt or the world around us. In truth, a lot of people who have made a start to live for the Lord spend far too much of their lives either looking back to their own version of Egypt or worse yet, actually moving there and living full time. So today I want to use the experience of the Israelites and talk to you for a little while about the danger of looking back to Egypt. The Bible tells us, and we read that earlier, about the, the pain and suffering that was endured by the Israelites in Egypt, that it was almost inconceivable. This picture of their suffering also paints a, a vivid picture of the bondage that is endured by those who are captive to this world's system, those who are in bondage to sin. It's the same story. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. It might sound harsh, and if you disagree, that's okay. But being out of the will of God should never be viewed as a pleasure trip. Because while it might have moments of temporary pleasure, in reality, it is a time of severe bondage, it is a time of darkness, and it is a time of enslavement. As the time in Egypt lengthened, the bondage felt by the Israelites got worse instead of better. Although they were treated much worse, the deeper they got into slavery, the more they accepted it, or maybe even just got comfortable with it. It's quite often, if not always, the way it is with those trapped in the world. The attractions grow stronger over time. The addictions grow stronger over time. And as a result, in spite of the misery that somebody might find themselves in as a result of sin, that person often finds themselves also becoming more and more rooted in the world than ever. The fact could be, that could be why sometimes it's harder for folks to make a commitment to the Lord as they get older. Time and sin has a way of searing our conscience. It has a way of hardening of our hearts. And over time, people can just get comfortable in their bondage, or worse yet, feel that it would never change, so I might as well just accept it. Let me tell you that it doesn't have to be that way. 
you can be delivered from the bondage of sin. And you can stay free once you're delivered. You can be delivered from your Egypt, whatever it is. You can be delivered. For some people here today, this might remind you of where you were before you were saved. And if that's the case, you know what? That's good. Because we have been delivered from the most terrible bondage imaginable, the bondage of sin. And as a result, we should praise the Lord for the day that he set us free from that bondage of sin. That should make it easy for us to walk into this place and throw our hands up and lift our our voices and thank God for what he's done for us. Fortunately for the Israelites in Egypt, right in the middle of all their slavery, a redeemer was born. His mother named him Moses. They took very little notice of Moses at the time, but one day he would rise up to deliver them from their bondage. In the same way, it was into a sin-cursed world of darkness that God sent his one and only son to live, to die for all of humanity, and his name was Jesus. As it was with Moses, very few people recognized or received Jesus when he made his appearance. In fact, John 1.11 tells us that Jesus came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But in spite of that, what he accomplished while he was here broke the shackles and the bondage of sin for everyone who would trust him by faith. So with the people of Israel, we see that there was bondage, and we see that there was a redeemer, Moses. And we also see that there was a plan in place. God's plan to deliver Israel didn't just come around after Moses was born. The plan to deliver Israel was far older than Moses. Look at Genesis chapter 15. These plans that God had had been leaked to Abraham hundreds of years before they were ever in slavery. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years but I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end, they will come away with great wealth. This is long before this ever happened. My friend, Pastor Alan Carr, said it like this. In the council halls of heaven, God had determined how and when he would deliver Israel. When Moses came along, God put his plan into action. It was a plan that demanded faith and obedience, but it was a plan that was destined to work. End of quote as it was with God's plan to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. The plan of salvation that delivered you and me, the plan of salvation that delivered us from the bondage of sin was not an afterthought. Jesus dying on the cross for our sins was not plan B. That was the plan all along. In fact, before the very foundation of the world, there has been but one plan to save sinners And it was conceived in heaven, Revelation 13, 8 says, it refers to Jesus as the lamb who was slain before the creation of the world. The plan was in place to free us from our bondage of sin before the creation of the world. It wasn't like the world got to a place where it was so horrible that God looked down and said, what am I going to do? I got to come up with something. I guess I'll send Jesus down there. 
He was the lamb that was slain before the creation of the world. This was not an afterthought. It was not a plan B. This plan that saves us from sin was all in place all along. Now, the details of this plan were, they were leaked here and there over time. But the plan was finally and fully completed on a hill called Calvary where Jesus gave his life and he shed his blood to redeem redeem lost sinners and free us from the slavery of sin. It's a plan that demands faith and obedience. It is a plan that will work for everyone who will receive it as their own. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. If we could do it on our own, we'd go around bragging about it. But God said it's through faith so that no one can boast about it. For the Israelites, we see that God unleashed his his wrath against Israel and and he delivered the people in a mighty display of power. He redeemed them by the exercise of his great ability. And in the same way, salvation does not come by human reasoning, by human goodness or human deeds. Salvation is solely by the work of the Almighty God. God formulated the plan. He called us, he saved us, and he is able to keep us And he does it all without our help. Or we'd brag about it. So, so far we have seen that there was bondage. There was a redeemer. There was a plan. And then, at least when they first left Egypt, we see that the Israelites left Egypt behind, praising the Lord that they had been delivered. They were delivered, they were free from sin, and they were excited about what God had done. Remember what it was like when you first realized that your sins were forgiven, that you were saved, that you were being made into a new creation, and you were no longer in a bondage to the sin of your past? Remember the excitement and the praise that filled your heart for the Lord. Remember how you longed to be in the house of the Lord, how you longed to hear his word, and how you longed to come together with others who had been delivered in the same way and to sing and worship and hear the word. Can you remember what it felt like to be redeemed? If so, does it still feel as real today as it did back then? Do you still praise him today like you did back then? Let me pull over here and say something. When it comes to praise and worship, we have an amazing worship team. There's a lot of work goes into them to do what they do. A lot of hours of preparation on Rhonda's part to lead them. And while they have a program or a suggested list of songs, they move under the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say this song two minutes and 60 seconds. That would be three minutes. <laughs> Just seeing if you're listening. They don't do that. They move under the Holy Spirit. There is freedom in this place to worship. You can worship any way you want. I have said this before. If you want to run around the building as long as you're in the Holy Spirit, run around the building. 
Just don't hurt anybody. I probably won't join you because I'm not much of a runner. But if the Holy Spirit moves on me, I might join you. You know, I've heard people say, well, well, I don't see anybody doing this, or I don't have anybody doing it. Have you? Maybe you should start. Don't talk about what you're not seeing if you're not doing it. You have the freedom to worship God. If you want to sit in your chair and raise your hands and just cry, if you want to just sit in your chair and not raise your hands and just cry, that's fine too. I'm more of a crier than a jump up and downer. I have been known to jump up and down, and that's okay. But you worship the way the Holy Spirit moves on you to worship. You don't have to do it like me. I don't have to do it like you. What I have to do is the way the Holy Spirit speaks to me to worship. That's what's important, and that's praise and worship. And now we'll get back on track. So, so far we've seen that there was bondage, there was a Redeemer, there was a plan, and then at first when they left the, the left Egypt, we saw that the, the Israelites left Egypt behind, praising the Lord that they had been delivered. But then, even though they had been in horrible bondage, even though God had, had supplied Moses as a redeemer to lead them out of Egypt, even though God provided a plan of escape for their deliverance from slavery, and even though they left Egypt with joy in their hearts and a praise on their lips, the people of Israel still had this strange pull to go back to slavery in Egypt. They kept looking to Egypt in spite of the fact that when they were there, they were slaves. Too many times we see the same thing in the lives of those who have made a start to live for the Lord. Even though they've been set free, there is still this continuous pull back to the world and all its attractions. I want to look at a few ways, areas where this is true for the Israelites and, and where it could be true for us today. First of all, they desired the safety of Egypt. Look at what the Israelites did after they had been delivered from Egypt and found themselves facing the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army coming up behind them. Exodus chapter 14. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, you're going to love this, and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? I'm pretty sure Moses, or yeah, Moses didn't go around house to house knocking on the doors and throwing them over the shoulder. Why did you make us leave Egypt? In Egypt, they were slaves. And if they did their job, they felt like they were safe and, and knew what they could expect. They had some hope of a future. But they had no hope of being anything other than a slave ever, and their children had no hope of being anything other than a slave. They were destined to die in slavery. But in their minds, they had it all twisted that somehow they perceived the slavery, the safety of slavery was better than fighting a battle to be free. In their minds, they thought Pharaoh may have been our enemy in Egypt, but at least he wasn't trying to kill us, which wasn't true at all because he was chasing them now with an army to kill them. I will tell you, it can be a shock to a new believer when their first spiritual battle takes place. Satan, the old master, does everything in his power to defeat those who have made a commitment to serving Jesus. 
their new master. Sometimes these spiritual battles and the battles with the desires of the flesh can be overwhelming to a believer. And in the middle of it all, he or she often desires to return to their Egypt as a place of sin and false safety. Secondly, they desired the supplies of Egypt. Exodus chapter 16. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron were their leaders, basically their pastor. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Exodus 17.3. But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children and our livestock with thirst? Numbers 11.5. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. We had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic that we wanted. We talked a little bit about this last week. In Egypt, the Israelites could depend on having food and water to an extent at their disposal, but they were slaves. They were treated horribly. They were beaten. They were required to do everything that the Egyptians wanted them to do because they wanted to kill them off so that there was fewer Israelites than there was Egyptians. And yet all they could think about was onions. And then when they left Egypt to follow God, they were required to live their lives by faith. Manna came down once a day. And if you stored it up, it rotted. So they had to live every day by faith, trusting that God would give them what they needed moment by moment. When they were whining about water, Moses spoke to a rock and water came out of a rock. God provided their food. He provided their water. It says that the shoes that they wore lasted for 40 years and never wore out. And since they all had the same shoes, it never went out of style. Right? And when it came down to it, even though they were in the middle of the wilderness and God miraculously gave them food and water and shelter, they preferred the supplies of safety to living by faith Let me back up. They preferred to live with the supplies of slavery to living by faith and freedom. They preferred slavery over freedom. Let me assure you today that anyone can return to slavery. It's easy. And I promise you that your former slave master, the devil, will welcome you back with open arms. But living in freedom will require us to fight some battles. It will require us to live by faith sometimes. And it will require us to get our priorities right and put God ahead of everything else. Matthew 6.33 says this, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. This concept does not appeal to a lot of folks. But it doesn't change the fact that that is the way we're supposed to live. What we want to do is seek after all the stuff And if we get enough stuff, then we promise to live the right way. 
It's backwards. The problem with the Israelites is they were thankless and they were impatient. They wanted to return to Egypt because at least there they could count on having a meal. And today there are so many people who have made a start to live for the Lord, who also surrender to the pull of their Egypt when they feel that they are unable to trust the Lord by faith for all their needs. Rather than trust God by faith, I'll just go back to living the way I was. But I'm here to tell you today that you can trust him. David wrote in Psalm 37, 25, that he had never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. Philippians 4.19 tells us that God will supply all of our needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, they desired the spirits of Egypt. Exodus 32 verses 1 through 4. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses, Moses had gone up the, the mountain to talk to God. When they saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took off their gold rings from the ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Mm-mm-mm. As ungrateful as these people were, their actions here went way beyond what you would expect from even them. Here we see that in spite of the fact that they have been miraculously delivered from Egypt, they have seen miracles. They saw the Red Sea part, and they walked across on dry land. They saw that same Red Sea come back together and, and kill all of Pharaoh's army. They have seen God provide for all of their needs. And now Moses has just gone up the mountain to talk to God, and while he's gone, they decide to make some gods who could really lead them. If that wasn't detestable enough, once they made their idol, they worshipped it saying, these are the gods who brought us out of Egypt. The new gods, with a little g, were merely the gods of Egypt. And in spite of what God had done for them, they desired the things they worshipped when they were slaves. The same thing can be, happen to folks who have been saved. We can start looking back at the things that once occupied our mind in the world. And as a result, we can begin to desire those things once again. Maybe we worship money. Maybe we worshiped our job or power or sex or attention or possessions, any number of things. But all of those things were just gods of our own making. And just as it was with the false gods of Egypt and the Israelites, the gods of the world can have a strong attraction in an effort to pull us back into the world's grip. Number four, they desired the stability of Egypt. <laughs> Numbers 21, verses 4 through 5. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient with the long journey. And they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness, they complained. There is nothing to eat here and nothing to drink. We hate this horrible manna. 
Well, there was something to eat. There was manna. It's like when your kids go to the refrigerator and they open up, there's nothing in here to eat. No, there's just nothing you like. And that was here. They're saying there's nothing to eat. We hate this horrible manna that we've been eating. The route they were on at this point wasn't the most direct route to Canaan. God had instructed Moses to lead them in this particular direction in order to protect them from enemies along the way if they had gone the most direct route. And so God had placed them on a path to take them in a direction for their own safety. And they complained that it wasn't the shortest route. Woo, we do that from time to time. We're not going there. And yet the Israelites grew patient, impatient with the long journey. They thought it was too tough. They thought it was too difficult. They longed for the life that they once lived in Egypt where every day was as predictable as it was the day before. You know why it was predictable? Because they were slaves. And as slaves, you don't get to pick what you're going to do the next day. They reasoned that a life of slavery, although it was a life of pain, a life of bondage, a life of death, it didn't require any faith on their part because at least they knew what to expect every morning when the sun came up. Another day of slavery. The life of faith is different than a life of slavery and bondage. We who are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ never know exactly where this path is going to take us. Some days he leads us through the green pastures, beside the still waters. Other days... He leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. But the fact is, wherever he leads us, he leads us, which means he is there. And that's important to remember, and that is what makes the way bearable. And finally, this is the last point today, they despise their Savior from Egypt. Deuteronomy 127, we read that Moses finally got fed up with them. And he called all the people out. He called for sitting in their tents and grumbling and saying, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. You know, it was bad enough that they turned on Moses and wanted to kill him, who had led them out of Egypt. But now these people had the audacity to speak out against God, who had made it all happen and who had miraculously delivered them from slavery. They falsely accused God of hating them when, in fact, everything he did was for their own benefit. Remember where it was taking them? To the promised land, the land of Canaan, a land that he said, every place you set your foot, it will be yours. That's what he does. You may think that you would never say anything like that, but you know, we can do it without opening our mouths. When we refuse to worship the Lord as he has commanded, we are despising him. When we neglect him in his house, we are guilty of despising the Lord. When we prefer to live like the world as opposed to completely surrendering our lives to God, we are openly despising God who redeemed us from sin and saying, I would rather have the world than have the Father. 
It is a tragedy when the people of God live as though they hate the one who brought them out of bondage. Whether it's bondage from Egypt or bondage from sin. But the good news is this. If we have gotten off track, we don't have to continue down that destructive path. It is possible to, to die out from the influence of the world in our lives. And this can happen in one of two ways, but both of those ways are portrayed to us by Israel. Numbers chapter 40, verses 20 through 22. Then the Lord said, I will pardon them as you have requested. But surely as I live and surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land, talking about Canaan, They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I have performed, both in Egypt and in the wilderness, but again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. Because the Israelites refused to walk in the plan of God, and they decided that their way was much better than his way, God allowed them to wander around in the wilderness until every person who was an adult when they left Egypt had died. For 40 years... They wandered in the wilderness, longing for the pleasures of Egypt. Maybe they just forgot that they were slaves in Egypt. Maybe they had forgotten the sting of the taskmaster's whip on their backs. Maybe they'd forgotten about the the mindless toil that produced nothing for them but more bondage, more labor, and in the end, death. What they looked back on with such desire was not what really existed. But because the, the, the Egypt was so deeply rooted in their hearts, they were deceived. And that deception was what prevented them from entering the promised land that God had told them was right there. There are many people who at one time in their life made a start to live for God are in the same sad shape today. They are so enamored with the world and with what they still long for back in the world, that they are never able to overcome the pull of Egypt. And as a, wor- as a result, they die in defeat. They die in bondage. They die in slavery, never having walked in victory that's found through the Spirit. And the only time they truly die out to the world is when they die, because then they can no longer follow the ways of the world. It's a sad way to live, and it's not what Jesus saved us for. Numbers 14.30, God clarifies what he had said earlier. He said that no one would enter or occupy the land he had sworn to give them. And the only exceptions would be Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Think about what that's really saying. Only two men, two Only two men who left Egypt as adults were permitted to enter the promised land. And they were allowed to do so because they looked forward to what God had promised them instead of looking backward toward Egypt. They wanted what God had for them out there instead of what they had left back there. They saw Egypt for what it was and wanted nothing more to do with it They wanted the best that God had for them. And because of that, they received it from the hand of the Lord. It's interesting to note, and I'll close with this. Interesting to note that after Israel crossed the Jordan River and entered the promised land, 
There is never another mention of anyone longing to go back to Egypt. The promised land represents a life of victory for us as believers. And the Jordan River that they crossed physically represents a barrier of separation between the old life and the new life of victory in Jesus Christ. The way that we achieve this is laid out by the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. He wrote, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race, and I receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all those who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. The secret to overcoming the past lies in reaching forward. Reaching forward for the things that God has for you out there yet, still in the future. You can leave Egypt behind forever, but it will never happen until you want to. As long as you're still desiring to go back to Egypt, you will never gain what God has ahead for you. Egypt will always be a problem in your life until you admit that it's a problem. And once you admit that there's a problem, then make some decisions to take some steps to put a Jordan River between you and it. 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, un, all wickedness. And here's how you do that. You do it by putting some distance between you and your Egypt. You do it by letting go of your Egypt and all that it holds for you and all that the false promises that it will offer you. Overcoming the pull of Egypt in your life, I'm not saying it'll be easy. But it can be accomplished by faith in the Lord. And by putting some distance between you and the things that are trying to draw you back. If that's your old life and this is your new life, if that's your Egypt and this is your Canaan, then here's the Jordan River in between. And there's far too many people want to see how far they can get out in the Jordan River and maybe put their foot back here and think they can live for God successfully like that. You can't do it. Make a decision. Because you can't live in Egypt and get what God promised for you in Canaan at the same time. If you were battling, battling the pull of Egypt in your life, whatever it might be, and you want to come to this altar, I promise you that God will give you the help you need to get that Jordan River of separation between you and the slavery of Egypt. Don't fall to the danger of looking back to Egypt. You don't have to. There is a promise ahead of you Everything back in Egypt is a lie. I've seen too many people, yeah, but back when I, before I came to the Lord, man, I had so much fun. I, did you? And they talk about all the clubbing they used to do and all the stuff they used to do and all the partying. And what they leave out 
is all the waking up on face down and vomit. The broken lives, the addictions, the sickness, and all the things that went along with it. And it's just like the people of Israel. All they thought about was we had fish, we had leeks, we had cucumbers, we had onions. And they never mentioned one time, and they literally beat us to death. If you're tired of getting beat to death, then get out of Egypt. It's time for some folks to step up and say, I'm leaving Egypt behind because I'm going to what God promised me. Ruthie, how are we doing on time? Then we're going to shut it down. Would you stand? You don't have to live back there. The worship team's going to sing here in a minute. And if you want to come pray, somebody will meet you here. Somebody will pray with you, pray for you. We've had prayer this morning, I know, for sicknesses and all kinds of other stuff. This is not that. This, if you want to say, Lord, help me to place my feet where they need to be, then would you come forward and find a place to pray, worship team.